This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Our citizenship in heaven, and this is our summer series. To start our message off this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be looking at verse number 20. Now, again, these scriptures will be on the big screen for you. Philippians is a wonderful book. In fact, I reference this book many times when I'm counseling with people who are going through unbelievable struggles and troubles and trials in their life. I ask them to especially read Philippians chapter 4. The fourth chapter of this book will bless your heart no matter who you are. And uh, give it some time uh, later on during this week. But for right now, I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 3. And again, we're talking about our citizenship in heaven. This is the theme of the series. Today's message is entitled, Until We Reach Our Homeland. All right, so let me teach you some things from the Word today. And if you are a believer already, this will be a refresher to you. It will indeed be a blessing to you. Look with me at verse number 20, Philippians chapter 3. They have this verse on the screen. They will get all the scriptures that we're using today up here for you where you can read them in giant print. The Apostle Paul is the one who's writing this text. And he says, for our conversation in heaven or is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to explain that to you in just a moment. And then we'll be going to the book of Acts. I want you to look at this word conversation in verse number 20 because it's a Greek word and in the Greek, the word is politema. And it can be rendered as the word citizenship. And so thinking about it from the Greek translation in which the Apostle Paul gives us It refers to the seat of government in the country that we are citizens in. That's what this word means. And for the most part, I would assume that everyone here today in person or watching by internet is indeed an American citizen. Just by the way of introduction, I want to bring you up to speed with how that happens to be a citizen of America. In order for somebody to become a citizen of this country, they have to, by plan A, simply to be born in this country. Or by plan B, somebody can become a citizen of this country if their parents were born here. And then plan C is rather complicated, and it comes through a naturalization process And uh, up until recently, Plan C can be obtained by filling out forms through interviews, by taking tests. You've got to be able to speak a little bit of basic English. You have to have a basic form of knowledge of the American Constitution. A little history knowledge is acceptable as well. You've got to be able to pay the application fees. You've got to be a permanent resident. You have to obtain a green card. You have to have a job. You have to submit a birth certificate. 
and you have to submit and agree to a background check. And so if a person is going to become a citizen of America or have parents who were born here, a plan A or plan B is very simple. But plan C is really complicated. I want you to think about that. But to become a citizen of heaven, it's important to understand that there is not a plan B. And there's not a plan C. If you're going to become a citizen of heaven, there's only plan A. It's only one way, and that's the way of the cross. The apostle Paul had three citizenships. He had a Jewish citizenship. He had a Roman citizenship. And we know that he had a heavenly citizenship. And so listen carefully. For those of us that are saved, and by that I mean that you have trusted Jesus Christ the only way that makes it possible for a person to go to heaven, you have accepted him as your personal savior, then we, assuming you are an American citizen as well, then we have two citizenships, an American citizenship, and then we are citizens of heaven. I want you to get that in your heart this morning. And this series gives me an opportunity to remind you that in our heavenly homeland, According to the Bible, now if you're familiar with the scriptures at all about what heaven looks like, sometimes they sing the song, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. But let me refresh your memory just for a little bit, because according to the Bible, the streets there are paved with purest gold. The walls are built with jasper. The gates are made with finest pure. Those streets, as we've said, are made with gold, but the throne as it sits on that beautiful street made of transparent gold. The word says that it's encompassed by a beautiful rainbow. There's a crystal river, and according to the word of God, the river never runs dry. The scriptures teach us that it's a place that has 12 foundations, 1,500 miles four square. According to the scriptures, the Bible says that it has many mansions. It has a tree of life. There's no more sickness, no pain, no sorrow, nor death. And on top of that, there's no sin at all. So you think about this. The word of God says that it's surrounded by angels. There's never a cloudy day or the darkness of night. There's no need for the sun because Jesus will be the eternal light in that land that's fairer than day. Can somebody say amen? I cannot wait to get to my eternal homeland. I've got a citizenship over there, and I cannot wait for it. As a believer, don't ever lose sight to where your homeland is. As a believer in Jesus, if you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, you too have a citizenship in heaven. Don't ever forget that. You might be an American, but your real home is in heaven. Somebody say amen. And if you keep that in constant view, if you realize that, hey, this world is not my final home, I'm just a pilgrim passing through, that my real home is in heaven, if you can keep that in constant view, I assure you it's going to affect what you do, it's going to affect what you say, and what you do for the Lord. In fact, that's what this series is all about. 
I hope you're taking some notes today as we think about this subject, our citizenship in heaven. And to take us through this series, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of the book of Acts. I believe that it is a sequel. The book of Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. Now listen carefully. The gospel of Luke was written by Luke himself who carefully has investigated the words, the actions, and the claims, and the miracles of Jesus Christ. That's important to remember. Before we get to the book of Acts, I want you to look in the gospel of Luke chapter 1. I want you to see what I've just spoke spoke of in verse number 1 through 4. The Bible says, for as much, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed. You see, Luke makes no room for doubt. He said, surely believed among us. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me and having also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know, look at this now, certainty, the certainty of those things, wherein thou hast been instructed. So the book of Acts picks up where Luke left off in the gospel of Luke. And for me, one of the greatest passages in the book of Acts is contained in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And it's important for us to see this today. Follow along carefully as I read with you. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. The former triastes have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that... He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, But wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, 
which is taken from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. And to me now, this is one of the greatest passages in all of the Bible. I'm so thankful to know and to be able to share with you today that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's not just a byword of pages in scripture, but he is the only begotten son of God. He is the lamb of God without blemish. And according to this passage, the Bible says that he's coming again. And according to the word, he's not only coming again, he's coming personally. He's not going to send an angel for me. He's not going to send Gabriel for me. He's not going to send Michael for me. I'm so thankful that when he does come, he's coming back personally for me. The Apostle Luke writes this with great confidence, and I want to remind you of something here. I want you to get to know this man a little bit this morning. Get to know Luke just for a moment. He was a physician, just like Sister Gretchen. He was a physician. He was a very educated man. He was a man that thought through things, through the process of time. He was a very logical thinker. Luke also was very well scholared in the Greek. In fact, many historians believe that Luke was a Greek. Luke was a devoted champion to the Apostle Paul, a companion of friendships as well. And listen carefully. It is Luke who gives us the longest accounts in the scripture of the virgin birth than any of the other gospels. Luke mentions 20 miracles, which six of them are recorded in no other gospel but the gospel of Luke. Luke gives us 23 parables where 18 of them are not mentioned anywhere else. Luke gives us so many wonderful, glorious truths in the scriptures. But to me, one of the best truths that he elaborates on is the fact that Jesus is coming again. Now, the day that Luke is describing in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, actually puts a chill on these words themselves because what's happening here in verse number 11 is the end of an era. Because you see, what had begun in a cradle was now ending in a cloud. For 33 and a half years, the Lord Jesus Christ in a human form walked upon this earth. This planet had been visited from outer space to the third heaven, if you will. The son of the living God had been earthly born. According to the scriptures, he had grown. He had been ministered to. He ministered. He had traveled. He had taught. He had been loved. He had been hated. He was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected. And now in reference of this passage, 40 days, and this took place 40 days after his glorious resurrection, 40 days after his resurrection, he assembled his disciples to a place called the Mount of Olives. And it's here in verse number 11 that Jesus was giving them what is called the Great Commission. Now, if you remember, as these angels were standing by giving the message to the disciples, if you remember, it was angels who had announced his birth. It was angels who had presided over him during his wilderness temptations. It was angels who had strengthened him in Gethsemane. 
It was angels who had announced his resurrection, and now angels had come to escort him back to his homeland. In the time that Jesus spent on this earth, he said in his message that he would go and he would come again. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, he said this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus testified, he verified that he was going to come again. Now here on the Mount of Olives, he's giving his disciples some very important instructions before he ascends back to his homeland, before he ascends back to heaven. Not only giving them instructions, but assigning them serious work to do. And so listen very carefully. The significant thing for us to remember is this, that these instructions Jesus gave back on the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1, verse number 11, and also verse 28, you think about this. In the instructions that he gave in the Great Commission, Matthew eleven twenty-eight as well, in the Gospel of Mark, listen carefully. In the instructions he gave right here in Acts chapter 1, He's teaching them now that he's going to go away for a little bit. He's already said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. When I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he will guide you into all things. He will teach you all things. Here's the thing that I want you to know, that the message, the instructions, that the work that Jesus was leaving as he was going back to his homeland was not just something temporarily that he was assigning 12 men to do. It was not just a project that he was giving the 70 that's mentioned in the scriptures. It wasn't just singled out to the 120 that were in the upper room. But the truth of the matter is this, that what Jesus said in Acts chapter 11 or chapter 1, what these angels were declaring, listen carefully, it went far beyond the 12, far beyond the 70, far beyond the 120. The instructions that Jesus gave the work still goes on today. You and I are still very much a part of that. The story is still in progress. And until we reach our homeland, until we reach the place where our real citizenship is, listen carefully, no matter how bad things are on this planet right now, and I think most of us that have a brain wave higher than the equivalence of plant life, we know that this world is in a very dark, depleted way. We know that things are very disgusting. We know that things are very discouraging. Things may look like that they're very bleak. So no matter how bad they look right now, or no matter how bad they get, Look at number one on your outline this morning. We need to remember that the mission of God continues in and through the children of God. While the gospel of Luke was written about what Jesus did, the book of Acts tells the story of what Jesus continues to do through everyone that calls upon him and receives him 
as their Lord and Savior. And try to let this sink in for a moment. God has divinely arranged for you and I to live at this moment and at this time for a very particular reason. The story, as I've mentioned, did not end here on the Mount of Olives. It did not end in the upper room. The story did not end in his ascension. I want to remind you of what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16. I want you to see this in verse 17. Brother Danny brought out some great things in his class today. I was able to sit in on it for a little while. <clears throat> and he mentioned this verse. I want to reread it for you again. Those of you that were not in his class, look at this scripture carefully in Matthew 16, beginning of verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell, by the way, he brought out a point, and I want to remind you of something. Jesus didn't build the church on Peter. <clears throat> Jesus built the church on himself. He's the cornerstone. He's the rock of ages. He's the stone that was hewn out of the mountain. Look at this. <clears throat> I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter did not understand really... I. I believe at this particular time where Jesus was speaking, he did not understand that Jesus was speaking of a time when he was no longer going to be in a human form on this earth. I don't think that he fully realized that these things would be done by the power of the Holy Spirit that lived and dwelt inside of him and not by Jesus walking by his side. That's what he was used to. The truth of the matter is this. Peter probably thought that after Jesus had actually ascended into heaven, because if you remember, you go back to Acts 1.11, those angels said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? I can almost read their mind as I look into the pages of the scripture. The angel said, why do you stand here gazing? Probably all of those that were gathered there on that day just looked in bewilderment. Maybe they were thinking a host of things. What in the world are we going to do now without him? We have spent the last three and a half years with him. Now he's going away. Probably they wondered and they thought, and I'm confident that some of these men believed that now that Jesus was gone, maybe perhaps things that he said really didn't matter too much anymore. And I'm also confident that some of these men that was surrounding the hillside on that day, believed that when Jesus was gone, that the mission was over, that there was no more work to do. And I'm sure that for a moment they thought, well, they got him. It's just going to be a matter of time before they come after us. But after the infallible proofs that Luke spoke about, the infallible proofs that he said, Jesus is alive. 
We have seen him. We have handled him. And we can certainly testify of him that he is alive. It was then in that process, perhaps, that they started to smallly work through their doubts, work through some of their fears, work through some of their disbeliefs, perhaps, and they were starting to embrace themselves together. They were starting to brace themselves for what was coming now. They were ready to take up the cross. They were ready to follow the Lord. And how correct they were to assume that because they got Jesus, they were next on the list. I don't know how many of you are fortunate enough to have what is called the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Do you have possession of that book in your library? If you don't, I would recommend you get that because it gives you in great depth and detail how these disciples, how these apostles, how these believers in the early days were martyred for their faith. And if you can't see it today, friend, listen carefully. Nobody right now is throwing us in a lion's den. Nobody's putting a padlock on the church. Nobody's making us give up our Bibles. But I will tell you what, Christian uh, persecution is among us today in ways that I cannot even begin. I don't have time to explain it to you today. I was telling my wife this morning that uh, there was a couple that was sitting in a particular restaurant. I saw this yesterday on the news and they were saying their blessing. And somebody stood up in the restaurant and said, that's offending me. You're forcing your religion down my throat. And it was a quite of a scene. It was quite of a ruckus. But my response to that is, look, you don't have to look at me. I don't have to look at you, right? And you're not missing much if you don't look at me. <laughs> but here's the day that we're living in. Here are the times that we're living. Christian persecution is going to come rolling down the highway like a freight train without brakes. If you don't have the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I encourage you to get it. In the book of Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were flogged. In Acts chapter 12, James, the brother of John, was beheaded. In Acts chapter 14, the word says Paul was stoned to death, or stoned nearly to death. And then in Acts chapter 16, we find where he was beaten with rods. In the book of 2 Peter, we know that this was written right before Peter is crucified upside down. Shortly after writing 2 Timothy, Paul is beheaded. Altogether, 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. But listen carefully. All of these men had made conscious decisions that no matter what, they were going to continue on in the work and in the assignment that Jesus left them as he ascended back to his homeland on that 40th day after his resurrection. I don't know if they would have been so enthused about doing that if they had not seen Jesus Christ personally resurrected from the dead, but they had seen him. And no matter what, they were going to be faithfully serving him until they reached their homeland where their real citizenship is. But here is the thing. Right only as Jesus was ascending on that particular day, right before their eyes, he was not only sending them out with excitement, he was not only sending them out with zeal. He was not only sending them out with passion. But here is the key. He was sending them out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's important. In Acts chapter 1 verse number 4, the Bible says this. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, 
but wait for the promise of the Father. What was that? It was the promise of the Comforter. It was the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I'm going back to the homeland. I'm going back to where my Father is. And when I'm taken up from you, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to wait. Wait for the Comforter. Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And then in Luke chapter 24, verse number 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Look at that. Jesus did not send his disciples out with this mission until they were endued with power from on high. And he didn't send them out in their own power, in their own intellectual abilities. We have to remember that he sent them out in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number two, quickly. The important thing for us to remember is this, that all of us, even though we're believers in Christ, we are powerless in our own strengths. We are powerless without the power of God. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 says this. All of these points today, four of them, I'm going to give you the scriptures. You know me by now. I don't preach anything I cannot give you scripture for. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the word says, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now listen, why did God give us the Holy Spirit? Why did he give us the power of the Holy Spirit? The answer's found in the scripture right here. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And when you have the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, God says, I'm going to equip you to be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so here's the thing. Jesus said in John 15, verse number five, he said, without me, ye can absolutely do nothing. So here's the point. We are powerless without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so until we reach our homeland, here's the thing that we've all got to remember. There is so much work to do. Again, I tell you, it did not end with the 12. It did not end with the 70. It did not end with the 120. The work still goes on today. There is so much of the Lord's ministry and work that we have to carry out and we have to carry on. And we can never accomplish anything Without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's an Old Testament verse. Probably it would save time if you just read this this morning. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verse number 6, the word says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. As God sends us forth into the world to work for him, to serve him, to proclaim his gospel, to be salt and light in a dark place, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, quickly, obedience to Christ will often require us to abandon our own will or our own desires. There are going to be times while we're serving the Lord that it not only requires following. You know, there's a scripture that says to take up your cross daily and follow me. I've referenced this many times. Jesus didn't say, take up your picnic basket and follow me. That simply means this, that life as a Christian is not easy. We're going to be persecuted for our faith. 
to let our light shine in a dark place. There's going to be people that don't understand that. There will be people that don't want to accept that. And so taking up the cross, it's not just a following thing, but listen carefully. When we take up the cross, when we decide, hey, there's more to it than the 12, more to it than the 70, more to it than the 120. This thing that Jesus said about going into all the world, preaching the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most part of the world, that includes me. That includes you. We have to do this. We cannot do it in our own strengths, and our own abilities, but we can do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen carefully. This thing about taking up the cross, it's not only about following Jesus, but it's also sometimes we have to wait for the word. We have to wait for the Lord to say, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to say. A lot of times this thing about following Christ means that we're going to have to abandon what we want to do in order to do the things he wants us to do. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 18, the word says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching, or that word means waiting thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know one of the best ways that you can tell if you're praying in the spirit or not? Listen carefully, is when you pray something like this. God, what I want is this. You draw a blank this morning in your heart and your mind. Draw a blank. You're saying, God, what I really want is this. And you just fill it out what you want. And then you really begin to pray. And you step back from whatever it is you've rolled in that blank. And then you pray something like this. Lord, what I really want is that. But I can tell right off, you're not interested in that. So God, what I really want is that, but I'm going to step back. I'm going to erase what I want. And God, I want you to fill in the blank. And when you step back and let God fill in the blank, brother, let me tell you, you're praying in the spirit. Because there's no doubt in my mind, God may give you something to do that you say, I cannot do that, Lord. You know my inabilities. You know my weaknesses. You know my vulnerabilities. And there is just absolutely no way, God, I can do this. But let me remind you of what he says in the book of Romans. I beseech you there. For brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, Moses tried to do that stuff with God. God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. I don't have time to drag that out this morning, but you know what Moses did? He said, God, you got the wrong Moses. You must be talking about Moses Brown. You're not talking about Moses. Moses, this is not me here, God. He tried every which, and that's what happens to us sometimes. When God begins to show us something and impresses something on our heart, moves us in the spirit to do something, we say, oh, wait a minute, God, I know that I drew the line on the page and I, I knew I was telling you to fill in the blank, but God, it's getting a little ridiculous here. I know you can't possibly want me to do this. Well, I will tell you this, none of us can do anything 
without the power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. You try to do anything. You try to get up here and sing without the power of the Holy Spirit. You try to get up here and play this musician's instruments up here without the power of the Holy Spirit. Try to get up here and preach without the power of the Holy Spirit. You try to do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to fly. Not of works of righteousness, which we have done. But listen, it's by my spirit, saith God. It's when we're willing to wait for his direction. And sometimes we don't want to wait. We live in this push button mentality right now. We have we have push buttons on the computer. We have push buttons on the telephone. We have push buttons on the television. We don't want to wait. We don't even want to really wait too long for a hamburger in the drive-thru. If you ever take the position with God, when you say, Lord, I'm going to let you fill in the blank. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. You're saying, God, this is getting a little ridiculous now. I've, I've erased what I want. I've got that line drawn on the blank page there, and I'm waiting for you to fill it out. And God, I want you to say something. I want you to do something. I want you to fill it out, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. Listen carefully. Don't ever get impatient with God. If you want to wrestle with God, you might end up with a broken hip just like Jacob. Let God work in your life. Let God take all the time he needs in your life. I can assure you, he knows a whole lot better what he's doing and what he wants than anything we could possibly imagine. So I want you to think about this. Jesus told his disciples to go and lock themselves up in the upper room, not to leave until the power of the Holy Spirit came. Number four, I want our musicians to come. And I want you to keep this in mind. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power, but it's Jesus who is the one who gives us the mission. It takes the blood of Jesus to become a Christian. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. I, Murdy, I want to share this testimony you shared with me the other day. This blessed my heart. I want you to know this. Several years ago, and this just recently came to my mind from when Lucille passed away the other day, her son Dwayne took her Bible was going through it. And one of the things that popped out was a laminated copy of the sinner's prayer. No doubt she used it. And I made one of those for the entire church. And some of you kept it. I hope you know where it is today, but Murray kept hers. And we've been praying for her brother to come to Christ. She took that laminated copy of that prayer and on the telephone, was it Florida? Read that prayer to her brother. Listen to this. And we've been praying for him for a long time. He got saved. He got so saved that just as soon as he got saved, 
he goes and tells his preacher, I just got saved and I want to get baptized. And he didn't schedule it for the next Sunday. He said, I want to get baptized on Tuesday night and I want you to get the church house down here to watch this. (laughs) Did that not happen? Let me tell you something. The man got saved, got baptized on a Tuesday. Who would come out here on a Tuesday night to watch somebody get baptized? I'd have to hog tie half of you. That man got baptized, called that church house down there. Those people came out to watch that now saved sinner get baptized. What I'm saying is this. The Holy Spirit gives us power to witness Jesus has given us the mission. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men were among you for your sake. And here's what I want you to know until we reach our homeland, until we get to where our home really is, while we're waiting for the Lord to return, while we're waiting to take up our permanent residence, we've got to learn how to wait. The last verse I share with you today is in Luke 19, verse 13. And he called 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds. And he said this, occupy till I come. This is what the Lord wants. How do we occupy? But one way you're here today, you're occupying. But he wants us to be a witness. You can be a witness anywhere, anytime, anyplace. You don't have to walk around with a sign. You don't even have to wear a t-shirt. It's got a gospel message to it. You know what you do? You just drop a word here and you drop a word there and you drop a word there and let somebody see Jesus You may be the only Jesus that somebody will ever see. I hope it's a good Jesus. Don't turn anybody away from the gospel until we reach our homeland where our citizenship is. We have a lot of work to do. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.